welcome everyone to Dabo's Fingers episode 143. Lon returned, both returned. This is Scatty, and with me as always is my buddy. His name is Matt. His my name. Uh, the name of our main character is Quoth. And last we saw him, he was looking for a kick in the butt to try to remember himself. Mm-hmm. He's about to get that kick in the butt. Um, this episode is going to cover some tremendous chapters, namely chapter 26, Lonray Turned, all the way through chapter 32, which is called Coppers, Cobblers, and Crowds. That's called alliteration, Scad. It is. And it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole book, to be honest. Mm, I can see why. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll get to that. Uh, so we're here to give some announcements first before we dive in. Uh, first, we have been promising an interview with Grant for Galahad for a couple months now. We're going to do that in June. I have faith. We're going to do that in June. We sort of pick a date. We're trying in May. We're trying in April. We're going to do it in June. It's going to happen. Okay. So June will be Galahad. This month, though, we're still, Matt, what are we doing? Ooh. Ooh. We are starting a new Patreon segment called We Should Start Back. I Mm. think this was born from us going back over the last year or so to listen to some of our old episodes as we put together some best of Davos Fingers episodes as Patreon offerings. And you can check those out on our Patreon. Um, We go through and we pull out funny or what we feel might have been sort of insightful or otherwise impactful moments from our early episodes. We compile them all together in volumes of, uh, I think we cover about 10 episodes per volume or something like that. Something like that, Um, Anyways, that's a long way of saying that we felt like it might be fun to revisit some of this stuff again. We've been at this thing for eight years this year. Eight years. Yeah. 2014. It's almost and nine, Matt. I mean, nine in, in August. August. In August right. will be nine. Yeah. Closer to nine than eight. Um, And it, we've grown up slightly, <laughs> like a bit, a bit, a bit. A bit, a bit. <laughs> there you go, Chase. There's our Monty Python reference yeah. for this episode. Yeah. Uh, and so we want to revisit. Better. I got better. She I turned me better. into a newt. Uh, our opinions have changed on some of these things. It's uh, your woman from scene 24. Oh, sorry. Did I'm we not going to get through this. Sorry, we moved past. My bad. We Let's go to the Monty it. Python thing. Um, sorry. My bad. Monty Python podcast starting in three, two, one. <laughs> small rocks. Very small rocks. A duck. <laughs> Supposing two swallows carried us together. Oh me, yes, it oh me. Yeah. I like to go for a walk. Okay. Uh what were we saying? Okay, so in I June. Shoot myself with a book. I have no idea. May. No, not even in June. June's Galahad. May. May is uh, a new segment we call We Should Start Back. And it's basically Scad and I rereading Game of Thrones and talking about it together. Uh, we're not going to go into quite the detail maybe that we went on um, those those first episodes and what we were accustomed to with Davos Fingers of doing five chapters or so per episode. Um, we're going to do more chapters, a little more high level, 
but with a focus on what's changed for us since, you know, we first recorded where we're at now and in, in kind of our thought processes, processes with some of these characters and maybe reminisce on some of the, the old times when we first covered them too. Definitely. I was 35 years old when we started this thing and when we covered it the first time. Wow. Younger than I am now. Yeah. We won't be doing that again. We're not going to go into that level of detail. It'll be definitely like Matt said, uh, what's changed, what do we feel is different, um, that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be good. I, fe- I feel like I just read the <laughs> I read the prologue today to get ready for our episode. And it's amazing, man. I'm still caught up with new stuff. It's amazing. I'm really excited to do it. It's going to um, be so fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's going to be light, whimsical. We've already done it once, so there's no pressure to do it better. You know? I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. Scad, you went to a very small event uh, a couple of weeks ago now, right? Actually, was it just a week ago? Anyways, tell it us was, about it. It was, yeah, you know, two, some time two, ago, two plus two plus weeks ago, um, some time ago, more, more like three weeks ago now. Uh, and it was, uh, it is a small event, actually. It's one of the highlights of the event is that it is small. It's a, an event for book readers. It is called Ice and Fire Con. And man, what do I say about it? Here's the thing about Ice and Fire Con. For me, it's all about the people, right? At this point, you know, we have people that like our podcast that come to the event just to hang out with people like our podcast, uh, and and engage with others like other podcasts and other things about the book right. books. Um, but to me, it's all about the people. I mean, I spent so many hours just sitting around and talking to Jeannie and to JB, Julie Beth, and to to Jay and to B, uh, our friends from the north, and to just so many people. Uh, you know, Darioff, uh, who, who is Matt uh, and his his partner, Chelsea, I, so many people that I just talked to so much. That's the value of that con to me is it's just a bunch of people getting together that love the same thing and being able to talk about that. But also, you know what? We talked about The Mandalorian for about an hour as well. Oh, you know, boy. Like, like you can talk about so many things with this group of people and it's just open and fun and that's what it was for me this year. Uh, Good mission accomplished. Then that's what I wanted for you this year. It was so great, Matt. It was the best one for me ever. Yes. And I know that's probably not the case for everyone. And look, I got this t-shirt. Uh, our blood rider has made the Maddie and Willis ship t-shirts. And Liz, I have one here. I love you, Liz. Uh, let me just, okay. Hurricane Lizzie. I, Ice and Fire Con was amazing, and K2, and all of our friends, uh, so many good friends that were amazing. But Liz, Liz lived up to the hype more than anyone could ever live up to the hype. She was just bouncy and everywhere, interacting with me and loving me and us and our fans and everything, but also just with everybody. Like, there was no limit to Liz's excitement and engagement I share your I secrets, lo- girl. Share your secrets. I loved her before, but like she's in, she's 
just amazing. Like she's her special. ability to just special. turn it on for everyone and never let it stop. I mean, she's probably still asleep because she expended enough energy for a normal person for a year. I'm not convinced she does amazing. sleep. Yeah. Well, her shirts are amazing. Maddie, I have one for you. I've been bad at delivering your gifts. I have several things for you, actually, but I haven't delivered them. I apologize. You'll get them. I'm Go glad on. you had fun. I'm glad you had a good time, buddy. Look look out you. for um, the Davos Fingers meet and greet coming up. Never. <laughs> never say never. Let's do it. We have no plans. For what? What do you mean? I'll do no. it. We talked about that silly little idea. We call it the Davos Fingers meet and greet, but it's M-E-A-T because we like to smoke meats and we just have everyone come to Salt Lake City and just hang out and eat food with us. We're recording live and it's going on video, but I will say to you right now, I will do it if you want to do it. We can invite families. We can all hang out. I don't know. Fucking we got to get some Howard Johnson's or some freaking you know, double trees involved, whatever we have to do, whatever's got to happen. I listen, I wouldn't even like want it to be a con or anything. I want it to feel no, no, like a family friends. reunion, like a friends. barbecue come, with a bunch of people us. coming from out of town to hang out. But That's like what a I want it to be. Day barbecue. Right. And we sleep yeah. on the cold, hard ground in between. I'll be in my bed, but everyone can sleep wherever they want. Cold, hard ground. My bed is big. We can invite other people. <laughs> Fine. I got a spare room. Um, we'd have to see what Padme says about that. Yes. I should yeah. be down. She's yeah. she seems nice. I think it's she's be so friendly. She's so yeah. Friendly. I believe that. Um, especially if we weren't talking about those books that Matt does the podcast about. <laughs> she goes, <laughs> that she can't name. The fire and ice. I feel, like Aon, or... I feel like Aowen could name them at least. Yeah. I, I think she gave the name right. I think she like would. the name of the series, or could she yeah, name the yeah, individual yeah. books? Oh no, not every okay. book. But All but right. she could I think she get the series right. Yeah. 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 Anyway, hey, everybody, this is a podcast. Did you know did you did you know we're here for a podcast? We're spoiler free for King Color Chronicle until the end of the podcast for a special segment called Devi After Dark. What that means is we're going to talk about the chapters we're covering only in the main sections of the podcast. Then we'll get to the end. And then we'll talk about all the spoilers as well in the Devi After Dark segment. We'll warn you about that with some sort of musical cue that Matt wrote himself. Yeah. 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 Wish you, you should write to us too. Uh, there's lots of ways to do it. Kalisar. We'd love to hear your questions, your comments, your concerns, uh, your thoughts on the stuff that we covered in the episode and then on the Chronicle in general. So reach out to us through DavosFingers.com. We are DavosFingers at the gmail.com. We're on Facebook or we're always on Twitter where our handle is at DavosFingers. And please check out our Patreon program where you can get access to special episodes like the one we're going to do. Davos Fingers starts back or we should start back or whatever we're going to call it. Um, that's at patreon.com slash Davos Fingers. You undersold it, Matt, but I really think those episodes are going to be good. They're going to be reflective. They're going to have a lot of good context in them. Guys. I'm really ex- I, I think they're going to be good. They might be our best stuff. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. like 
guilt people into listening to our Patreon episodes. Yeah, I understand. They are episodes, though, that I am tremendously proud of. Like, to this day, some of the Patreon episodes that we did, our father's, our our parenting episode that we recorded a couple years back, I freaking love that episode. Dude, Um, our, no, yeah, but our dogma episode? The dogma, the chasing Amy. um, Both really good. Our Kevin Smith films get fingered. film or um episodes like those are some of my favorite episodes some of our what if episodes that we've done for patreon because fuck kevin smith i mean don't because he's awesome but like no yeah do fuck him because he's awesome but for you and me like i feel like we got deeper in those episodes sometimes personally than we get here oh yeah right like they touched chords that you know, we sometimes planning George on touching. doesn't really touch. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you touch my cord, I'll touch yours. It's going to be all fine. Touch them it's together. A, and... It's a, a two-person circle jerk. It's fine. Okay. And you can oh, hear it all on patreon.com slash Davos figures. Good sell. Okay. We ready for yeah. chapter 26? This Here's is a beefy thing. chapter, Scott. This is a beefy chapter. Big! And I feel really bad because this summary is really long. And uh, we just were really you know, jokey, but this is heavy. And uh, I apologize for how long it is. I'm going to do my best. Here we go. We're skipping forward a bit. Quoth had been on the mean streets of Tarbine for years. Three birthdays, in fact. Quoth was, for lack of a better description, a successful vagrant. He's been getting by, but he wasn't driven to anything more, not driven to progress in any way. That was until he heard about Scarpy at the half-mass bar. Scarpy told stories, and anyone could ask for a story he didn't know would earn a talent. Quoth loved stories, and this motivated him to go to an area of town he normally eschewed. You see, Pike, the person that beat him up long ago, the first time he entered Tarbine, he roamed that area around the half-mast. Well, that feud continued over the years with attacks on both sides. Both now steered clear, well clear of Dockside, home of the half-mast. So it was not worth the risk to brave Dockside just to hear a story. Besides, what story do you even want to hear? Clearly not worth it, not at all. He wouldn't go to the half-mast, surely, no. He couldn't go Dockside, surely, no. Well, when Quoth entered the half-mast, he saw a thin old man sitting at the bar with an overturned cup. Twenty or so children made their way to the bar, donating coins of varying values to this man named Scarpy. He ordered a mug of wine and asked the children what story they wanted to hear. The air was filled with the voices of children making requests, and Quoth found his own voice cutting through the air as well. Lon Ray! Hmm. Who would like to hear the story of a man who lost his eye and gained a better sight? It's an old, old story. Story of a shining city in its fall. Mir Tyrrhenio was its name. As big as Tarbine, but beautiful on every corner. Fountains and sculptures everywhere. White-stoned architecture. Sleetos ruled over Mir Tyrrhenio. A powerful namer and a gracious and kind ruler that could see deep inside all men and women. He protected the city with his sight and his power. But 
during Salitas' time was the Creation War, a war that had brought the continent low in its, inten in its intensity, but about which few stories even survived this current time period. It was so long ago. It was a war so long that people could hardly remember when there wasn't a war and had laid low all but eight cities when we pick up our story. And Mir Torino was the greatest among them, the greatest city they had, protected by the wise and powerful Salitos. The other seven cities put their trust in Lonre and Lyra, two lovers at the front of their armies. Lonre, powerful in his arm, and Lyra, powerful in her naming, they fought back the armies that sought to bring them down. Between them, they managed to give the cities a fighting chance, even hope. And at the Battle of Drossen Tor, Lonre and Lyra fought the armies of the cities for three days unceasing. Lonre always where the fighting was thickest, until he had to face off against a great beast of black iron, which he slew as he himself took a mortal wound. The people felt this was a blow to their chances of winning the war overall. How could they win without Lonre? So Lyra tried to bring him back. Lyra spoke his name powerfully, but he lay motionless. Lyra breathed his name, beckoning him to return, but he lay there dead. Lyra wept his name, her voice a whisper, but he lay there, breathless. Lonre was dead. But Lonre heard her calling beyond the veil. He came back to her, spoke her name, and breathed again. Lonre lived. The people truly now thought they had heroes that could cheat death, and they believed fervently in their eventual success. Lonre and Lyra and their people fought for years, almost reducing the enemy to ash. End was drawing near and they were all going to win. Then rumors drifted of Lyra being unwell. Dead even. Lonre, mad. No one seemed to know the truth. Then he showed up to Mir Tereniel to ask Salitos, a dear friend, to take a walk with him. Salitos was wise. He knew a friend in trouble when he saw one. When they came to a high place in the mountain, Salitos offered help, counsel. Lonre responded by speaking his name. Selangsi, I bind you by the name of stone. Be still as stone. Eru, I command the air. Lay leaden on your tongue. Salitos, I name you. May all your powers fail you but your sight. Lonre had power over him, but Salitos knew in his soul that Lonre was no namer. He should not have been able to to overpower Salitos. But overpower him, he did. How did he come by such power? Salitos could do nothing but watch as his great city burned before him. He watched it fall powerless. And in the morning, he could move again. And he looked on Lamre and saw his darkness. What have you done? He asked. When asked why he did this, Lonre can only account that he is among the best of all those living, and still, he did this. He did this because there is no hope, no joy. He is a bastion of men, 
a perfect example, brought this ruin upon the world. What good could lesser men do? Overwrought by the death of his wife, Lonnery claimed there could be no lasting goodness or joy. It will be always choked out by weeds. And thusly, he should just destroy the world in its emptiness. At this, Salitos picked up a shard of mountain glass, and Lonnery asked him for his own death. Salitos indicated that Lonnery was not mad and could not be cured, nor could he be killed. Salitos saw with his eyes now that Lonnery had sought to the, to the power to bring Lyra back sought knowledge where knowledge should not be left alone. But he gained that knowledge at a terrible price. Even with the knowledge, Lonre had not the power to bring back his wife. So he had tried to kill himself, but he could not. Always returning to life. And Salitos knew that if he had killed him himself, he would not return again. He was now Haliax and not Lonre. And no door could bar his passing, even the door of death. Endless living was his fate. Salitos tried one more time. Is there nothing then? No hope. There is sweetness in life. But Haliax disagreed. There was no sweetness. Only weeds. And so he would sow salt. At this, Salitos broke from his enchantment drove the point of the mountain glass into his own eye and with a mighty voice cursed Haliax. By the power of my own blood, I bind you. By your own name, let you be accursed. This is my doom upon you. May your face be always held in shadow, black as the toppled towers of my beloved Mere Turiniel. Your own name will be turned against you. You that you shall have no peace. This is my doom upon you and all who shall follow you. May it last until the world ends and the Aliu fall nameless from the sky. And with that, Lanro is bound in shadow, covering all his handsome features, and was cast to the wind like smoke. Scarpy drank the last drink of his wine, turned his cup over, and the story ended. When the children had left, both approached Scarby to thank him for the story and pay him for it, and to ask him if it was all true. All stories are true, but this one really happened, if that's what you mean. More or less, too much truth confuses the facts. Too much honesty makes you sound insincere. At this, both remembered that his father used to say the same thing. His anxiety overwhelmed him, and he backed toward the door. I'll be here if I can, he said to Scarpy before disappearing to the streets. And that's the end of the chapter. Good job! Dude, that was so long. It was such a beefy chapter. It's big, and I felt like I, I mean, I didn't want to rob people of it. I get yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. It was but a great also, story. And you summarized it very well. And I mean, and and you even skimming over some of the stuff with Pike. So I skimmed over a lot of the stuff with Pike. I'm like, hey, yeah, they fucked. It's fine. He set him on fire. (laughs) Yeah. But but to to focus in on that for a minute, 
like, let's do that because this is, you, you know, sometimes people looking at the series, look at Kvothe as some sort of perfect specimen. This is one of his weaknesses for sure. He has to have the last laugh. He cannot let someone get over upon him, right? Yeah, we'll see that a couple times in this block of chapters. We will. And here, you know, maybe most, but it's, you know, it's a warning for his future. Like, this is not going to end well if you can't get over things like this. He just can't leave things well enough alone. For those that don't know, I skipped over it in the summary. He finds Pike, the person that beat him up the first day in Tarbine, and haunts him for like, like, hunts him for like a day, right? And then when he disappears from his little shack, he burns basically everything he loves. He goes and finds it first. Like it's really like mildly sadistic. Like, yeah, it's, (laughs) he says at the beginning of the chapter, I had nothing to live for, nothing driving me. Well, he found it in hitting pike where it hurt the hardest before he burned everything he sought out the things that were most important to pike and he even says in the chapter i finally found what i was looking for and it was a little box of charcoal drawings of a woman's face bundle of dried violets toy horse lock of blonde hair why though probably his mother why is why is that what he's looking for because pike destroyed his loot and he had to get the last laugh. So yeah. he looked for the thing that was most important to Pike yeah, and took great joy. He savored the moment, it says, as he watched it all burn down. Yeah. Matt, I'm a more flawed human than you are, I think. Uh, I think you'd have been like, oh, well, he took my loot. That's too bad. And I'll forgive him. I'm like, good job, Quoth. <laughs> the, the the biggest problem is you you waited too long with the fire. You made set, it too set long. Set fire and leave. Right, know? right. Walk away like a movie. Slow mo. Walk away while the thing goes up in flames. I'm not that angry at him. Who would say I'm dick. angry, but I'm I'm concerned. Let's compare it to Bran. Okay. You know Bran from the song. Heard of him. Know, the, the series that we covered it's uh it's it's called the song of ice and fire matt and we've heard, uh, heard of it's it it's a book it's a book series we i think it was it a someday. tv show no 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 well yes but yeah anyway um bran <laughs> bran doesn't know any better both he doesn't know any better and it concerns me with him too yeah I think I think it's reasonably similar. He does not wh- what we said with Bran in our coverage of A Song of Ice and Fire is that Bran's great. We love him. We're scared because he has no teachers. Mm-hmm. Nobody that can teach him morality or how to use his power effectively, right? And the same same thing with Quoth. He's got some tremendous powers available to him, even of observation and stealth. And yeah, even not drawing on the magic y stuff yet. Totally. Even as a young boy, he's got lots of powers that have been taught to him and he's very proficient. And still, he's doing these things. And it's scary a little bit. It's concerning. Yeah. Yeah. When Pike destroyed Quoth's loot, he had no idea that that was the most important thing in Quoth's world. He had no idea the significance of it. Should he have been doing those things? No, absolutely not. Um, 
he's he he's probably a bully. assumed that yeah. both had stolen it and he was yep yes no, had no idea it had any sentimental value at all and you know where I'm going with this. What's different is Quoth went out and sought the things that were most important to this shell of a human, Pike, who is a bully who has been beaten down by the world and has now become a product of it. Yep. Finding things that were obviously of the most sweetest sentimental value and savoring the moment of destroying those things. Yes, it's bad. And also... I'm not that angry about it. Sure, sure. We've established because, that. Because because Pike, you know, he was brutal in the way he did it. He could have Absolutely. just taken the stuff and let it go. Mm-hmm. But he was brutal with it, right? And yep. so he's a brutal I'm, human. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a big revenge guy, Matt. I'm not. But am I? I don't think I am. But I'm not angry. I'm concerned. <laughs> what is that? Something. I don't know. It sounds like something from Seinfeld or something, it but does. it's not. It's... I, I can see Mickelson saying that. I'm not angry. I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I can see it. I'm concerned to what about the, what this means for future interactions. Yeah. And... yeah. Yeah. Regardless, this is something that both, you know, he didn't do well. Right. And it cost him, right? Like, like they chased him. He chased back. Like it's a, it's a whole feud. Right? He pour, he spent all of his rainy day fund to buy some flammable yeah. alcohol to dump on Pike and then light him on fire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You spent a bunch of money to try to get this revenge. The like, did he really need it? He could have just let them go. Maybe the truth would have happened then, but nevertheless, he's talking over and over and over and over and over and over and over again about how much he's not going to go. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. He'll keep calling me. He'll keep calling. I'll go, I'll go. Great pull. (laughs) Ferris Bueller, Cameron. uh, He's going to go, right? Like we can tell while he's telling the story how he's not going to go, that he's going to go. And of course he goes. Mm -hmm. Nobody's probably that surprised. Nope. So So then we get the story. Scarpy tells a story. Apparently he has, he's only powered by wine, relatable content. Uh, <laughs> but he he takes donations from kids, apparently, to pay for his drinks. And then he tells stories. And in this case, both asked him for the story of Lonray. And boy, did he get the story of Lonray. Uh, what do you got, Matt? Anything? Well, we learn a lot. This is one of those where we do some significant world building. Yeah. Uh, and through this story, we learn a lot about some of the skills that Kvothe has. Mm. Um, you know, what we've seen so far from Abanthi. Uh, yeah, basically Abanthi and some of the initial stories that we've gotten is knowing the name of iron or um, the name of, of other substances. Um, here we're broadening that and just showing just how expansive this magic and power can be. Salitos knew the hidden name apparently of all things. And I think people too. Right. Yep. 
seems yep. like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it gave him great insight into their personalities. Like no one could lie to him basically because yeah. he knew all of these things. Um, it says, as I was reading up on naming, uh, when you perceive the true name of a person, place, or thing, you essentially gain absolute control over that subject, right? That's um, the idea. It's why Quoth was able to do that stunt with the wind that he did where he almost died. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is intense. And so it gives you an idea of just how expansive this world is and the potential that Quoth has, because we know how freaking smart he is. We knew Abanthi saw something special in him. And I think it's really fascinating, Scad, that you put this story where you do in this book. Patrick Rothfuss puts it when Quoth is in Tarbine mm-hmm. and he's barely scraping by. He's not even thinking about his powers. He just burned a kid and everything that that kid loved. And you're like, oh, this kid that just did those things has the potential maybe to do this, what Salitos is doing. And yeah, I don't know if that was intentionally why he did it, but it's a pretty intense, uh, it's a pretty intense insight into Quoth and what he has poten- potential to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it feels um it it feels like this story is awakening both, but also awakening us as well mm. to mm-hmm. some of the possibilities for his future, right? And yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a little scary to think about, right? Uh, diving into the story a little bit, more people died in three days fighting at Drossentor than are living today. Yeah, in the whole world. It's a little scary. It's a big battle. Uh-huh. Pride caused Lanray to come back, I think. They caused him to make a deal with the devil. Right. He says, deceit and treachery like. brought me to it. Mm-hmm. He says. And we'll get more into that maybe in Debbie After Dark. But this and whole... He's... Go ahead. As he, to add to that, he's almost pleading with Salitos to kill him, or at least try to kill him. He does. Would you yeah. kill a friend? Like, no, I'm asking, would you? <laughs> like, kill me. No, no, I wouldn't. And uh, no, it's I can't. made even more difficult that he can't. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a very, this, this section, we'll get a lot more into it in Debbie After Dark, but this is a difficult section to parse, right? Uh, we're dealing with a lot of history, very, very old history. We have to even weigh whether it's real, the story Scarpia is telling us. Um, if we do, you know, then I think we have to we have to weigh some pretty heavy things. Salito says at one point that only uh, Aleph, Ajax, and Lyra could equal him in naming. Right. Well, Lonray just wrecked this dude, and he's yep. not one of those three people. And he's not one of those three. So Aleph is God, and we see him working with Salitos in the very next chapter. That's not a spoiler, because we're going to cover it in the next chapter. 
Yep. Lyra is dead, according to what we know. So it's Ajax, I guess. Ajax's naming power that is now, I suppose, become Lonrays somehow. Yeah, uh, unless he was able to somehow absorb it or through this deal with the devil, that's what killed Lyra. And he yeah. took that. Uh, I yeah, don't know. I have I have some thoughts about that in Devi After Dark, but yeah, yeah, I think there's some there are some interesting things there to talk about with um how he got those powers and why. And maybe, you know, uh hate to go with the stereotype, but like maybe Lonry's kind of a dumb jock. And he made a bad deal. He kind of comes off that way a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. He's a warrior of the highest regard. Yep. I I, I hope, I know we've got a ton of book left and a ton of the next book left. We do. Uh, I really hope that we get to motivations beyond just, I sow salt because the choice is between weeds and nothing. Tell me more, Matt. I just I want more. I want more motivation behind it. We do have a cool story of a deal with the devil to try to save his love gone wrong and everything. But uh that just feels and you know how we are with we want there to be a story behind the story behind the story. I don't know. I so salt because the choice is between weeds and nothing. Just feels like a little surface level bad guysy to me a little bit. Thanos-ish in a way. Yeah. Um the world is like a friend with a mortal wound, a bitter draught given quickly only eases the pain. Um, I want I want to dig a little deeper. I hope we get to dig a little deeper into Lonray than just that. But I don't know. Does that work for you for a motivation for becoming the ultimate evil? Of just like I'm doing the world a favor because it's going to be bad for him. So I'm just going to kill him quickly anyways. I think... Um... It doesn't work for me exactly, but I, I, I think I think what they're getting at is that I don't know how much to go into here versus Debbie After Dark, but I, I feel like yeah. Lonray died. Okay. He died, and we have this whole section of Lyra trying to bring him back, right? She's she, tried three times and he didn't come back and then eventually somehow he heard her calling and he said her name and he breathed his first breath and he came back right uh i'm i'm not sure it's i'm not sure it's shallow i think maybe there's some subversive element Causing this to happen, mm. that or or that he agreed to let happen. Sure. Okay. That leads us here. Mm-hmm. And I think we can probably talk more about it, more about it in Devi After Dark. But fair. I feel like Lonray is. Uh, I don't want to call him a dumb jock, but like he's he's doing his job. He gets killed he wants to come back and still do his job and he's willing to accept almost any deal to get there. And he does. And that deal 
maybe somehow kills his wife mm-hmm. and it wrecks him and he's not the kind of person that can deal with that yeah I see that and I yeah I think it'll get better Rothfuss hasn't let me down yet I think we're going to dig in more and just see why that's good but and that's it's also pretty, that's pretty deep as it is though it is it and it i mean we'll get into it in debbie after dark but it goes deeper i think but go ahead ahead. yeah there is something that needs to be said for allowing this story to develop which i'm not allowing it to do quite yet i just want to know how they how he got from point a to point b and i want to know it right now but there's probably plenty that happened in between that they're going to fill in um there are hints yeah for some of these things i think and we'll get into that but right but yeah i agree you want to know right like what's actually happening yeah you just want the world to burn that's all you want you just want to kill everybody well if 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 you knew matt well you'd probably be better than lon ray haliax at this point but if you knew that you would not rest until this whole thing were over what would your goal be you just want to hasten the whole thing being over right maybe you could be generous for a hundred years or a thousand or ten thousand but at some point right you're just like probably more like 20 for me can we just get this over with like let's end this and start again because i'm done and there's right? something to be said about the insanity door that we've talked about, those four doors of the mind. And, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and that's a good point. I like that. Well, yeah, he says uh, somewhere in here that he can't go through any of those doors. He, he says, literally, Lonnery says he can't go through mad- sleep. He can't go through madness. He can't go through death. He can't go through whatever the one that I missed is. I forgot now. He can't go through any of this. Forgetfulness. There it is. He can't go through any of them. They're all closed to him. And I'm wondering if the insanity one is. (laughs) You think? Well, I mean, maybe, maybe. But Salito says directly, "You're not. You're not mad." He says it directly. You're not mad. So we can choose not to believe Salitos. I suppose. I don't know. Wonder if it's in a different way. Mad in a different way. Go ahead. I don't know. I'm just thinking through this for the first time now. But uh, to the point where, like you're saying, so impatient to hasten the end of the world for your own benefit, right? So that he personally can have peace. You all must die so that I can finally have peace. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What what it says, uh, I don't remember the quote. That that would drive anybody a little nuts, I think. Yeah. You will know no peace. Yeah. Right. Those you and those that follow you, you, you will know peace. Is that something about until the Eliu fall from the nameless from the sky? Right. And I don't know exactly what the Eliu are. There are theories online. Could be angels. The angels could be the, just the stars themselves. Uh, Eliu, Elef, and Telu, God, church kind of stuff, maybe. Maybe it's just the followers of Aleph, the Eliu, right? 
those those we see in the next chapter get their wings. Uh, we haven't got there yet, but uh, you know maybe, maybe that's who the alien are. We don't know. It's it's not really covered heavily in the in these books who the alien are. But until they fall nameless from the sky, Haliax is burdened yep. and his followers to walk this earth. So if we put that in context of like the Chandrian and what they're trying to do with, you know, we've taught, we've theorized like they're trying to get their name suppressed and like not get repeated because they're following the stories around and killing people to repeat it. Like who cares? What's that going to cause the stars to fall from the sky? Mm-hmm. It's a little weird. I, it feels yeah. like, it feels like this chapter sent me back rather than push me forward on any sort of, you know, world knowledge. I bet he meant to do that. Probably. That's but, how authors are. Yeah. Um, I'm wearing this shirt today. Non-watchers who are listening. 41. It's my favorite Dave Matthews band song. They're coming out with a new album tomorrow. It Ooh. drops tomorrow. It will have been out for a week by the time you're here in this Kalisar first album in five years i'm really excited about it um the first single it's good it's called madman's eyes it's really dark it's really heavy for a dave matthews band song you might like it scat it's incredibly politically charged i do like heavy uh, i do like political uh I, you gotta check this song out madman's eyes dave matthews maybe one of their most politically charged railing against the United States government songs you've heard specifically gun control uh, in this song. You you read between the lines. Well, I Um, love guns. (laughs) But in the song, the refrain is it's not black and white unless you're looking through a madman's eyes. Mm. And uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm picking up from Lonre right now. I'm saying that he's very black and white this so i gotta do this and salitos yeah. is like whoa calm down hold up a little bit <laughs> but salitos all also next chapter we'll see is a bit black and white he is a bit yep yeah. yep so yep and right. we all know dave knows everything so he knows lots of things in the end uh this story we know the chandrian kill people for telling for saying things that they shouldn't say, right? Uh, and they do it in a brutal, ruthless manner. They killed not only close parents, but everybody around them because they'd learned too much and they were yes. telling stories they weren't supposed to tell. I can't remember what the exact line is, but something about that. Yeah. <clears throat> so what does that tell me here? Um, so far, we're not finding Scarpy hor- horrifically murdered along with all the children that heard the story and the innkeeper and everybody else that happened to be in the end. So what does that tell me if I'm reading between the lines that Quoth's dad learned something even beyond this story. He somehow came across knowledge that was even more intense, more revealing, maybe more damning to the Chandrian and to Haliax than what Quoth has just learned that led to his death, right? Otherwise, you'd think that the Chandran would be on top of Scarpy like this. So I ha- yeah, I have that question. Why why are they not following him around? Yeah. Something to think about. 
Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, also, there is just one minor point at the end when, you know, I think it gets lost sometimes in, you know, reading this chapter. After he finishes the story, both goes up and talks to Scarpy. And Scarpy says a few things that are, eh, I don't know if it's just clever language from Pat or whether it means something. I only know one story. All stories are true, right? Mm-hmm. And he also mm-hmm. says, even sometimes the story grows in Dockside in Tarveen, as if he somehow sought out both in some way, right? Yep. And this story, yeah, your story is now your becoming story part is now of becoming part the, of the story. bigger story. And I right. kind of love that that like. Well, I only know one story. Well, because why? Because guess what? You tell a story to me, and even if it's not true, guess what happens? I hear that story, and I might think it's true. And then I repeat it, and someone else repeats it. And then it becomes true. It becomes part of the bigger story, right? Yeah. The story of us. Story of us. Mm. Mm. It's nice. But it is weird to think about. It is weird to think about. Ready to move on to chapter 27, His Eyes Unveiled? All the, all the rest of the chapters in this block scat are much more manageable, including this, this one. This is the big one. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's, I feel like, I mean, I'm thinking my notes, I'm like, well, we kind of covered it all, but I still feel like we didn't do it justice somehow. And also it was super long. I know it took like 20 minutes for me to read that damn summary, but still feel like we're not doing it enough time but we'll get back to it in debbie after dark i think yeah a lot of it is just the story right yes and it's the story yes. yeah which you summarized very well so. thank you well thank you all right should we go to chapter 27 his Let's eyes unveiled Let's his eyes it. spoiler alert meaning close um or is it hmm, hmm. uh yeah i think it is Quoth was Walking on sunshine, whoa. Following this first encounter with Scarpy, hardly being able to wait until the day after morning when he could return for another story. It had been a long time since he'd looked forward to anything, it says in the text. Still, he felt a little uneasy about something, like there was a connection with the story of Lonre that he wasn't quite making it. Nagged at him even as he went about his normal routine of begging, thieving, and surviving. One night, as he observed a Talon priest whose face was shrouded in a cowl and in shadow, the door of forgetfulness, where he'd stashed pieces of his mind for so many years, was finally flung open, and he remembered the night his parents were killed. He remembered Cinder with that dead smile. And he remembered Haliax, his face also hidden in shadow, just like the priest. And that's where the connection was made. That meant Scarpy's story that he told about Lanran and Haliax, that was real. Because Kvothe seen him. His parents had been killed for gathering stories like the one he'd just heard. And they were true. At least the stories were that were worth killing for. So, Kvothe's mind immediately goes to what? Revenge! But 
his hard-learned practicality on the streets of Tarbine had taught him revenge would be a tough road to hoe when it came to the Chantrian and to Lonray slash Haliax. Where would one like Foth in his situation even begin? Well, one thing he knows he can do is go back to Scarpy, and with him and his stories, maybe he at least has the chance to learn more of the truth. And that's what he decides at the end of this chapter. Um, it had been a long time since Quoth had anything to look forward to. Why, why do you think Quoth allowed himself to stay in the situation he was in for so long? He's obviously smart. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's kind of the question we all ask ourselves at you know, like four chapters ago. It's like, what are you doing here, man? Yeah. And he kind of explains that at the end of the last the last our, our last episode of saying like he didn't know any better. He didn't know where to go. He didn't know anybody that could help him, right? Mm-hmm. And so he just kind of stayed there and tried to survive. And so I think we have to take that for what it is. But he's also told us that his brain wasn't ready to accept the reality that it wa- that his life was, right? And so mm-hmm. he's even willing, and it's weird to think about it, but he's even willing to take this terrible existence of being a starveling boy on the street instead of remembering who he is facing what he has to fit yeah yeah he's not willing to do it good point his brain won't let him right yeah so that's why i think he's doing it seems stupid to us in a future chapter here that we're about to cover he kind of says something like oh it's obvious to you you've read this as i've told the story you know um it's obvious to us like dude and it's obvious to bast in the last chapter we we were covering before what are you doing man like this is this isn't the right path you're not going to get anything get anywhere doing this right you're so much more live up to your potential we've never heard those words before have we but also they seem to grind us down even more yes but also something we say about sansa and Arya, like she's Mm -hmm. 12 like he's a kid yeah we gotta even you know Gifted kid, but some, a kid. A kid, yeah. We got to give him, you know, some benefit of, benefit yeah. of the doubt on this. It's just interesting. It says after he hears this story and, and he goes on to waste waste three hours begging. And yeah. it's like, why does he why does he beg? He knows how small the ROI is on begging. He knows there's easier <laughs> ways up, to get money. He knows there's yeah. easier ways to get money. He can go steal something to make a lot more money. In fact, he does. He goes and steals a bundle of rags and sells them, and he's able to buy himself a nice meal, right? Cheese, so, sausage, bread, and beer. for a for a quick, you know, steal it off the back of a cart, go and turn yeah. it in for some money. Boom! Versus three hours where he gets one shim, right? Of begging. Yeah, I get the feeling it was more like he was kind of um, 
standing or sitting on the corner and being like, oh, yeah, remember that story? Just kind of keeping his hands out like this. Like, <laughs> Maybe. Not really yeah. trying. Right. You know, like he was focusing on the story. But, yeah, it do, it certainly wasn't effective, for sure. Uh, it's just kind of interesting. It's I had a – this is, this is going to sound like a really, like, shallow thought and overly simplistic. It's amazing what a good meal can do for a person. Huh. No, I don't disagree, actually. Yeah. The kids, he said he's not starving, but he's constantly hungry. Yeah. And he, which means that in the bigger picture, it means he's focused on the day-to-day survival. He really doesn't have time to make plans on his next move yeah. to pull himself out of this yeah. poverty because he's just thinking about having something to eat to fill a quarter of his belly for the day, yes. you know, yes, and not be killed. Um, but you, there's at least two times in this block of chapters where he makes a big move or has a big realization and it's preceded by having a good meal and having a full belly and almost like having those basic needs met so that he can then think forward a little bit. It was after he had this good meal and was kind of resting when he, his mind made the connection about his past and those doors began to began to be unlocked but here's the so, thing I, th- I think the realization came before the big meal in both cases so in this case in the first case he came to the realization here that oh man there's stories there's hope this is familiar i'm gonna move forward and he gets a big meal it's like he had to wake up to realize he deserved the big meal and then he gets a big meal and that feeds him to progress even more. And right. later we haven't covered it yet, but same thing when he gets the talents from the bookkeeper, it's he only got those talents because he realized, Oh shit, I got to sell my book to get money to go to the university and make myself a, a person. And then he gets the meal and then he can succeed. His brain has to get there first before the food and then the food and then the progress. And then it's like it's like basketball. Knowledge. First you get the khakis, then you get the chicks, then you you probably didn't see that one. But no, anyway. I don't think I see basketball. Well, it's pretty great. There's a hockey term called back check for check paycheck. So um it's the same thing. Yeah. I can't back yeah. that up. <laughs> no, but just that idea that when you've got your basic needs met you can move on to those other things. And that's kind of what he did here. He had the good meal and it was like, Oh, that priest. Oh gosh. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. Oh my gosh. There it is. Holy crap. Yeah. All I'm saying, I guess is his brain had to wake up before the meal mattered. And there was some, there was a part of it of him going, there's something here. There's something here. And that's his brain yawning and stretching. I think. Yes. In, yeah yep agreed totally mm. i do wonder if there's something significant about this talon priest and the women that they talk that he talks to yeah or if it's just if it's just a moment that rothfuss wrote in order to spark quoth right feels like there's room for both right yeah feels i mean uh you know, it, it, forget the priest, forget anything else. 
Matt, you're seeing a transaction in a darkened alley hidden from everyone else. What is your immediate suspicion? That it's dirty, that it's not clean, that it's hidden and, you know, somehow compromised. So like, I think, I think that's the impression they're trying to give us. He is, it might even, I mean, I don't, we don't even know it's the same Telen priest, right? That we get tomorrow. No. Mm -mm. Scarpy gets discovered, but like, at the very least, it's a similar kind of idea in that this guy is paying these women for information. Yeah, the dark right? underbelly of this Talon religion, right? But... I think it's the dark overbelly, but yes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. We'll we'll um, we'll get there. Yeah. Yep. I promise yep. you. Um, that's all I really got on this short chapter. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't have much else either. Okay, moving on to Telu's watchful eye. Yeah, which also I have here. Uh, hold on, I'll just say real quick, quickly on this last one. It's interesting that the hood and the darkness underneath the hood is what triggers him, but the first thing he thinks about is Cinder and not Haliax. Right, that's interesting. We can leave yeah. it at that, we don't have to go any further into it Go ahead. yeah haliax was a bit of a periphery character in that whole exchange right cinder was uh, more present but haliax was kind of it was clear he was the leader right he's also the one that clearly resonates with the hooded dark you know person in shadow right, right. yep that is that this telling priest seemed to resonate with but he still thought of cinder first that's interesting yep. that's all Oh, Cinder. Um, Chapter 28. Taylor's watchful eye. Here we go. Uh, It's the day after morning, the day Quoth had waited for, but he barely made it to the half-mast in time for Scarpy's story, in case, in fact, he did miss the first part of it. The story is of Silitos, now Silitos One-Eye, asking that if he does a certain thing, we're not told what that is, will he be given power to avenge Mir Tyrrhenial? and confound the plots of Lanre and his Chandrian followers. The response comes from one named Aleph, who tells him no, and that he must punish or reward only what you yourself witness from this day forth. Salitos isn't down with that. He's down for playing prevent defense. He knows firsthand of Lanre's betrayal and wants to stop him before he can do even more wrong. A group of the Ruach agree with him, and they become the Amir. Telu, along with another group of Ruach, agree to become angels to mete out justice. And Aleph touches its told, their hands and eyes and hearts. They transform into celestial winged creatures, ring wreathed in white fire, who could see deep into the hearts of men and sing songs of power, righteousness, uh, no, power, They're righteous and wise, and they are terrible to behold, so much that they cannot be seen by mortal sight except by the most powerful. Their mission, again, is to mete out justice to the world. Uh, At this point of the story, um, we're interrupted by two men who had been listening in. They reveal themselves to be Talon priests, accompanied by two church strongmen, essentially just two thugs. Um, One of the priests who happens to also be something called a justice, 
I think of it maybe as like a sheriff or something, charges Scarpy with heresy. Scarpy's bound without saying a word in reply. The priests indirectly threaten the bartender for harboring such a heretic and elicit from the poor bartender a financial donation, quote unquote, uh, to escape a potentially more harmful penalty. Now, Scarpy, unworried or unaware of the severity of the pickle he currently finds himself in, actually mocks the priests, going on about how fine churchmen like themselves couldn't find anything better to do than come after a guy just telling stories to kids. They must be small men to be about such small tasks as arresting a storyteller and extorting an honest business owner. He incites the priests and their thugs to violence with his words, and he is savagely beaten. But barely conscious, he indirectly speaks to Quoth, calling him by name and counseling him to flee. Scarpy has friends in the church who can help him, he says, but there's nothing more Quoth can do here. So Quoth flees. And that's the end of the chapter. Halu hates you even more than the rest of us, even more than the rest of the world does. What do you think, Matt? Um, there's maybe something there for Devi after dark. Yeah. Uh, sure. I definitely think we've said this before on the episode. Rothfuss um makes it a point to critique religion in his um in his in his books uh particularly some of these maybe major religions and maybe not the religion itself but the practices and kind of non-doctrinal culture that's come up in some religions and i think this is part of that commentary here yeah i agree i think i i, I mean that that quote it's a, it's a what would jesus do scenario <laughs> a little bit that that quote specifically we can come back to and, and dissect a little bit but i think for sure he's he's offering some commentary about it um you know the the shakedown uh of the innkeep for money is just somewhat heartbreaking in a few ways right mm-hmm. but you know, this is, I mean, I, Matt, you and I have talked about this a lot of times. I don't have any, I don't have any grudge about faith, you know, like anybody with faith in whatever they want to have faith in makes sense to me. It's your own relationship with your own deity. And I'm, I'm good with that. I don't have it. And in, in, to some degree, I'm a little jealous that I don't. Right. But, um, but the the organization sometimes yeah. the corporation the uh the willingness to bundle this into some sort of financial enterprise is somewhat disturbing to me sometimes but here's what i'll say about this is that these priests have literally a game set up with everybody where they go and do the same act where they pretend to be religious and vain and wonderful and, and bias. Yeah. 
yeah, pious, and they get money from them, uh, and they probably keep a portion and probably give a portion, or you know, who knows, right? But I, I think we're meant to. I think we're meant to assume that this does not all go to the children. Right? Absolutely not. Right, yeah. but you know, like one thing that I really respect from your faith, you know, uh, well, two things, I suppose. First of all, you guys do a great job of actually giving money to people that need it and helping them. Right. <laughs> yeah. You really do. Like mm-hmm. you can, anybody like, if you have bad opinions about the Mormon faith, fine, but like, go look at what they actually do and give. And you'll see that it's, it's substantial. Like they do a lot of really good things for people. On a world level and just on a individual Local congregational world, yeah. level, level. Everything. You know. Okay, but mm-hmm. but you got to the congregation there, and that's part of the key to me too. And you might think of it as a negative, but to me, it's like they just tell people, "You're part of us. You're giving a tithe." They don't ask for donations. They're not hitting you every week, like, "Oh, the poor people here, the poor people there, and we need Bibles or we need food or we need whatever." No, you're part of our congregation. You're giving this because it's part of what we do right and it's it's expected you don't have to beg all the time right and these leaving leaving your faith out of it now matt like these guys it feels like they've got some quota me they they gotta sure. like okay i gotta collect this amount or yeah. you know dude above me pastor greg is gonna be like what the fuck man why didn't you get your quota and so they're trying to eke out whatever they can get and that's terrible. It's awful. Right? Like, yeah. I don't love. <laughs> now, I, now's where I come down on you, Matt. I don't love anybody being forced to give money to to faith organizations. Period. Okay, like yours, Catholics, anybody. But I like your model a lot better than others, where it's very <laughs> clear. It's like, look, we're going to do these things with your money. You agree to this because we all hold these values in common. And so you expect that that's what's going to happen and let's do it together. Right. There's no begging. There's no like, <laughs> we got to go do a, you know, a Bible read to raise money. There's nothing. It's just, this is how it is. Very simple. Right? It's very clear. Yeah. Very simple. Expectations and very clearly set. I will totally. clarify one thing. Oh, sorry. Uh, you're not forced to, you're not forced to pay. Yes. Yes. I know there are exceptions. Yes. Yes. You can can just say, no, I'm not going to, and you will not be cast out from the church. You will not lose your membership. Um, so yes, sorry. I didn't mean to misspeak about that. That's totally fine. Just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, sure. Thank you. People aren't going to, aren't getting kicked out of the church because they're not paying. I would Um, say it is expected Sure, absolutely. But but if you don't, it's not like you're cast out and and shunned. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, but I I agree with the sentiment that you're getting at. It's one thing to expect that and and do all those things and everything. It's another to come in and start using your position as the dominant religion to exert financial pressure on somebody else. Um, yes. which some could say you even see here in our great state of Utah. I was, and I, was I don't completely say, like we do politically. And I don't completely disagree with election that. cycle. Um, I don't know it's if that great. comes from church headquarters or not. No. But nevertheless, it's there. I'm sure it's um, more subtle than that, right? Like, um, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it's I don't think it's like a big, you know, you shall do this. It's more, right. you know, yeah. Yeah. There's just Go a ahead. lot of us here and 
have a lot of influence. Um, But that's what's happening here is representatives from the dominant religion are coming into non-religious corporations and businesses and exerting their influence for It's a mob. Yeah. Give me money to protect you or I'll turn you in and you'll get fucked. That's, yeah, it's bad stuff, right? And just to be clear, not what the LDS church is doing. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Very clear. (laughs) But there there are political ramifications to what the LDS church is doing, which are very notable for me. I can admit that. And I don't agree with many of them, so. But also, how do you, people are people. How do you control it? It's it's tough. Anyway, um, let's move on. I do want to point out just just one quick thing. Um, Scarpy, I, I, I mentioned this in my summary because I thought it was significant. Uh, he calls Quoth by name. And as far as we know, he didn't learn Quoth's name. It's only his second time seeing him. Uh, and unless it was somehow said off page, hey, my name's Quoth, um, he didn't actually learn Quoth's name. Uh, he did know the justice's name. He did say the justice's name too. Um, I didn't inf- assume any familiarity prior to this, but it's possible he knew about these shakedowns and he knew that this guy whose name was er- Airless, Airless, he'd seen Airless. him before, so he knew his name. There's but theories about all that, Matt. We'll get to it. There are, there are, yep. Um, in Devi After Dark. But interesting that he knew the two names, specifically quotes. Yeah, you're right. I don't think he tells him. I mean, I'm looking at the text now. I don't I don't think he tells him his name. You can trust me on this one. Okay, you looked. Good. I'll stop looking. Uh, I believe you. Uh, it, it only lends to a point I have in my in my Daily After Dark notes uh, about it. But um, <laughs> about Scarpy himself. I'm excited. Yeah. Let's move on because I'm going to fucking spoil it. So let's move on. Yeah, let's do it. Chapter 29. This do is you, have, buddy. Uh, hold on. Wait, I got... Uh, oh, uh, just really quickly. Um, Telu and Aleph are not the same thing. I think I think it's important to point out, like, uh, it feels like the Telen church feels like Telu is the god of gods. Yeah. And this story implies that, you know, Aleph is the god of gods. Salitos has said that Aleph is one of the neighbors who could match him, but he kneels to Aleph here. Yeah. So Aleph is kind of above him. Uh, it feels just some preview, I guess, for later conversations, but it feels like Telu is an angel. He's underneath Aleph and not the actual God of gods. Right. And if we were to look at it in a Christian sense, it would be like Aleph is like God the Father and Telu like Jesus Christ, um, especially with him, you know, coming to earth, as it were, and living as a man for a time and things like that. But, yeah, but it feels it feels like so. So if we ask like, but not apples this, to apples, obviously, in this chapter, if we ask. Why did they call him a heretic? Right, like mm-hmm. what caused them to say, "Oh, this is heresy." Right, stop. Well, I think it's because the the Telen Church believes that Telu is God, and it feels and here like it's saying it feels like Scarpy is saying, 
no, Telu is the highest angel, but there's a God above him. And I think if you look at what that might mean contextually for the Telens, you have less authority maybe than you thought, right? Because Aleph is actually in charge. Yeah. Telu and the angels are judging things. And you maybe are exercising authority that you've assumed but don't actually have. Mm. Right? And and they're upset about it because like, no, 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 no. We need the money and power that we have. You shut up, man. Telu is God above Good all. Good point. Good point. Yep. And then important to point out too that we have this little group called the Emir, which the Emir, yeah. Um, turn out to be well in later times they kind of evolve into like kind of a holy order of knights or something but for now it's kind of Salitos almost like a not a secret organization but a behind the scenes organization that's going to be their sole job whereas the angels are out to mete out justice and provide all that for the whole world at large, the Amir is focused solely on we're going after the Chandrian yeah. and Lanre. I have I have whole ideas about this. I'm trying to keep them for for Debbie After Dark, but I I don't know that they're spoilery really. It just feels like they're big series wise. I'm kind of holding on to them. But chapter twenty nine then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to see if I have anything else. Oh, uh, real quick, in twenty eight, Wings of Fire and Shadow. We saw that exact same phrase, how Quoth felt when he got rescued by the fake Incanis, oh, uh, Garrick, okay. Garrick and Holly. Mm-hmm. He was about to be enveloped by wings of fire and shadow, and then they woke him up from his stupor, right? And so I don't know what that means, but I have some theories about what it means. Angels, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, uh, is that all I got? Oh, uh, there is a, a little bit there. I just wanted to note. Uh, Salitos turns down Aleph's request for him to be an angel, essentially. An angel. Yep. Um, and I thought a little bit like Ned turning down the handship, he does, which he doesn't do, but maybe he should have. Do what you want, dude. Like, yeah. Look at Salitos go. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go. Where are we? Chapter 29. The doors of my mind. Quoth ran immediately to his place where the three roofs met, his mind ablaze with what he had heard. He cried. But instead of sleeping, his mind awoke as if it had been sleeping. It awoke to things of his youth, his mother rhyming words, his hands holding a lute recipes for tea, and many other secrets long locked away. More importantly, he remembered the Chandrian. They had killed his family and brought a deep, burning anger to his chest. There was vengeance in his heart. But what could he do? Well, he had remembered some leads. Palayax had warned Cinder about the Yammer, the Singers, the Sith. From all those that would harm him in the world. And Cinder was afraid. This meant that the Chandrian had enemies 
and that meant both might have allies. The Ammer had been extinct as far as Goth knew, but if Haliax thought they were active, then maybe they were. He was left wondering why the Chandrian focused on his troop. Children sung songs about the Chandrian all the time. Why was his father's song so dangerous? Only the university would give him what the information that he needed to move forward. To answer the questions in his heart, only the university. But it was not where he'd go now. He had very little money and few supplies. He had to sell his book. The only thing he had a value that could get him there, really. He had to clean himself up to make his way to the university, but he was committed to do so. That's the end of the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Put it on mute so I didn't disturb you. It's all good. He cried. After all the hardening that occurred in Tarbine, think of Pike's place, right? Everything that he'd done. Um, what do you think awakened that emotion within him, Scad, that just caused him to just start feeling? Hmm. Was it the story itself? Was it Scarpy? I may be feeling cared for by Scarpy having something. Was it crying because of disappointment? You know, feeling like Scarpy could have provided him some answers and now he wasn't going to get those answers. Yeah. Those are all, those are all great suggestions, but I think the, the answer lies in like what actually makes you move. What, what makes you act? Mm-hmm. Okay. And in this case, um, it's not revenge, but it's it's a purpose of mind to set something right. Pike is a villain, a challenger, you know, a uh, competitor but what he's awakened to is a slight against his memory right Hmm. and i think that's what does it he he is forced to confront the fact that these people are real they are not fake memories they exist and they have harmed his family. And Quoth's pride is going to get him in a lot of trouble all throughout this story. But in this case, it drives him to wake up. Right. It drives him to do something that he hadn't been able to do in years, which was, hey, fucko, go take care of this revenge thing that exists. It's pride. It's acknowledgement of self. Yeah. Yeah. I cried as if something inside me had broken and everything was rushing out. Yeah. I I, I do like how you're tracing that back to pride. I think that is there. Wow. Um, Now, now that you give me that quote, I don't like pride as much. 
I cried as if something inside me had broken and everything was rushing out. I think what it comes down to says it's honor. I thought of my parents and some might say that's, those are similar. They are. I thought of my parents in the troop and was surprised to find the memories less bitter than before. Right. Yeah. Well, Um, the, the doors of forgetfulness and memory or whatever, like they help with that. They help with that. Yep. So, but still I like honor a lot better than pride honor. Yeah. And it was, I think it was when we talk about something had broken and everything was rushing out, feeling those memories and everything associated with them and finding them less bitter. That's almost encouraging, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I'm confronting them and I'm, and I'm doing okay. Like I'm okay. This thing I've been afraid of for the past three, four years, I'm doing it right now and it's going all right. In fact, I'm doing great with it. Says he used one of the tricks Ben had taught me for calming and sharpening the mind. I think that'd be the heart of stone. Um, it was harder than I remembered, but I did it. I did it. Yeah. You know? Also, though, like, fuck you. Um, like, why can you process yeah. your grief by, like, ignoring it for three years? And I have to deal with it for three years. <laughs> fuck you, Cloth. You, you can really get away with that? That sucks. Okay, uh, he job. can. Good job. He can. It's one of his superpowers. Yeah. Uh, and then he spent the rest of the night opening the doors in his mind. So it was just something that we just gained momentum, you know, and just went at it. It's pretty cool. Big it moment. Is. Yep. Yes. Why do you think, um, if I can ask real quick, why do you think his parents' song is so bad compared to the story long, the story Scarpy told? Exactly. I think that's a great question. It has to have, as I said before, some sort of information that exposes yeah. a weakness. Specific or, names or specific locations or something. Yeah, it, because it feels like the Chandrian and Haliax are trying to fly under the radar or erase knowledge of them yeah. or something like that. So he had to have made some sort of connection that no one knew about before or that very few did. And that's crazy, man. And what's also crazy is somehow they knew about it without him having without close father actually singing it, you know, like maybe he shared it with his wife or like in, this is like, or do they just like sense that he knows? Well, as an actor, it's like, I practice my lines all the time. Was so just he just like the actor behind, rehearsing? He, yeah. He's just like playing it. Like, just singing it to himself, like nothing, right? Haliax eats pineapple on his pizza. Da, da, yeah, da, da. Like, kill whatever. him, kill him, kill him. I mean, it, it it's it's funny to think about it. That, that was way, for you, I B. suppose. Yeah, good job. Uh, want pizza? Fucking savages. Uh, anyway, the point is, like, maybe he's just practicing, right? Yeah. They talk. They talk about like. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe it was in the wiki it. that I was reading or, or other the Reddit or something, but like they talk about like meshing once is hard. It's like, oh, well, that's a point. I have no idea where you went. But if you name it, you know, 12 times, you know, like here and here and here and here and here, I know where you're going. Right. Mm-hmm. But it feels like it's more than just frequency. Yeah. Because the kids that sing, listen, I've got kids. They sing the same goddamn song every fucking day for like a week and a half. And the Chandun would be here immediately. Okay. But. And you'd be looking, like, please come in at this yeah, point. Please take them. I'll, <laughs> I'll make two more. But. <laughs> Jesus. I can't believe I said that. But. 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 But, Matt, but, stop laughing at me, but, you know, if they're, if they don't have that kind of guidance, they're looking for a pattern of usage, right? right? And it seems, I don't know, seems, seems like Arlen and I guess gave him that, but it didn't seem like that, it was that strong. It didn't seem like he's singing it regularly out loud. So, yeah. Exactly. Any sort of any sort of utterance counts, I guess. Right. Or maybe they see the potential with the Ademaru and and their travels and everything, and the potential mm. to meet various audiences all mm. over the land. Okay, so they don't care maybe if that's like with it. random maybe. girl twelve in episode Sunnydale, chapter two, episode three. They don't care <laughs> if she sings it. But if Arliden sings and is going to take it everywhere, they're like, okay. Maybe, potentially. Just came to me now. Okay. Yeah, not bad. I like it. An electric personality like his, too, that people are drawn to. Oh, yeah. Listen to, you know? Yeah. 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 Totally. He's a John Cougar Mellencamp of this land. I mean, I'd bang bang him right now. Put him in front of me. (laughs) I did sing Jack and Diane. At Ice and Fire Company. Little Diddy. Oh, it was terrible. terrible. It was sad. <laughs> um, All right, where are we? Did he read the book then? Did he read Rhetoric and Logic? Did he read it for the first time? Who? Uh, Quoth. When? What? It says that, uh, so he opens the book, right? He reads the Abanthes, um note to him. Yeah. And then it says, he turned the page. So we're like... Oh. Did Quoth just read the book? No. And is that significant? Or is turning the page significant of or symbolic of? I mean, I have to think that like earlier in his chapters is like, I just had to find entertainment. So I went anywhere. I had a book. I have to believe. I have to believe he read that book. At some <laughs> he point. read the book at some point. I don't know I, if he did, man. He has to have. I mean, unless he does have the whole... I don't want to remember shit. I don't want to be reminded of things. So maybe not, but I have to believe he'd get so bored at some point they would have read it. Did he just read it? Because it's there. I have to think so. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Beware of folly. Later on in this block of chapters, I can't even remember which one but they talk about how passion drives good men to folly they say that exact term 
might have been what it else, might have been the cobbler what else who would? said it. That passions drive good men to folly. Yeah. What else would? So that's something to keep However, in mind as we go through this story. Well, let's think about the fact that his sword is named folly. Passions drive good men to folly. Passions. Mm-hmm. What is what is uh Coat, the bartender, passionate about? And will it drive him to folly? Right. Yep. Probably will. Can't wait to see. Hey Pat, here we go. Finish that book. Please. Chapter 30, okay. The Broken Binding. The Broken Binding. Quoth enters the bookshop named The Broken Binding. And he's covered in a year's worth of alley dirt, uh, even as he tries to sell Abanthi's book. The shop owner lowballs him big time, probably assuming, as I would, that the book was stolen. But Quoth counters, I want two talents and the option to buy it back. After a little bit more back and forth, the owner agrees, and Quoth even catches him trying to pull more trickery with the receipt, banking on the assumption that the street rat certainly couldn't read. Shop owner is impressed at Quoth's show of intelligence, in which he uses some really big D words that we might come back to, and allows Quoth to write out his own receipt, to which Quoth adds some trickery of his own, embedding in the contract that he will buy the book back for two pennies instead of two talents. He banks on the owner not noticing, and sure enough, the owner doesn't notice. Uh, As he asks for the date so he can put it on the receipt, he realizes he only has five days, five to get all the way to the university. And if he didn't, he'd have to wait two months until the next enrollment session. I don't know. Uh, With this urgency, he takes his leave, partially resigned to the fact that even at two pennies, it was unlikely he'd ever make it back to rebuy this book. And as he goes to leave, the shopkeeper stops him and apologetically gives him a copper jot to atone for his attempted trickery with the original receipt. His kindness almost makes Quoth regret his own deception with the other receipt. And almost makes him regret the three pens he stole. And the bottle of ink, too. And that's the end of the chapter. So, Matt, what you're telling me is he went into an agreement with somebody, thought he was going to get fucked over, decided to steal large amounts of shit from him, then won the transaction, which he usually does, and got exactly what he wanted, plus more because he's asked for two coins instead of two talents and then also took the stuff that's what you're telling me that's exactly what i'm telling you scott that's my read on the situation well let me tell you this bookkeeper seems awesome (laughs) this guy has no idea also it won't matter because it's just a book like that he never owned so it doesn't really matter it doesn't matter that much um you know at the same time, I like I like the bookkeeper. I do too. I, somehow. I, liked, I don't know how. I don't know no, why. I mean, but I, I like would have done the same thing. This this dirty street rat kid, you know, you hate to discriminate, but he comes in with a nice book and wants a bunch of money for it. <laughs> Let what me fool say? this kid. <laughs> yeah. I love we didn't say it in my summary, but the, the way he tried to trick him was by writing on the receipt, I attest that I cannot read nor write, and then he gives it to both to sign. And Quoth obviously catches that. So 
because he can <laughs> read and write. But then he's impressed and uh, he feels bad and he gives him some money just for feeling bad. Like here, here's a little bit more off the top. Yeah. I just paid you two talents for a book. Uh, here's a little more too. It's also kind of terrible, Matt, that we're like, oh yeah, it's okay. Cause he's elitist. Right. Kind of terrible. It's like, well, he only cared if he could read and could understand. Well, he's an elitist prick. So yeah. I mean, yes, eh, there's that. Yeah. But you know, if he's given I, two talents to every kid that brought in a stolen book, you know, <laughs> that's not great business. Well, I like I like to think that like mm, it's spoilery. We'll okay. <laughs> This goes to your point about Quoth always just having to win. Yeah. I have to win. That's yeah. a, that's on a no, movie yeah. somewhere. I must win. Ooh. It's Denzel Washington, I think. I think it's Remember the Titans. I think it's Remember the Titans. I will win. I have to win. Mm. Um, I like that movie, but, but I don't remember that. It remember might that be phrase, something else. I like the movie. I'm going to win. I'm almost positive it's Remember the Titans. Okay. All right. Um, uh, It's when it is, it's when the it's when the star player gets hurt at the end and the other coach is telling him, like, we shouldn't be worrying about this game right now. We should be worrying about our player. And he's like, it's not all about winning and losing. And he's like, no, I have to win. Like, Mm. but he's saying it more in the sense that, you know, I'm in a different social standing than you are. And losing and keeping my job isn't an option anyways um but uh this is a situation where kvoth just has to have the last laugh he admits he's probably never going to be able to buy this book back because he's not going to be back in tarbin he's going to be at the university yep doesn't matter i still am going to talk this guy down from 30 days to 20 days and i'm gonna if i were to come back i would be cheating him out of a bunch of money because he didn't catch the the change in text that I put in the conditions that I put. Yeah. And yeah, just because I can't like, like if to, to underscore your point, who gives a fucking shit? Yeah. <laughs> you got the two talents. You got your actor, man. Like really, what do you, your goal is to get to the university. You just discovered that the Chandler and killed your, rediscovered that the Chandler and killed your parents, that there's a lead here. That there's information to follow. You need more information. You have to go to the university to get it. Like, what do you care about the two? What what is happening? Just go. <laughs> He's an idiot. He's great. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's what I'll say, just real quick, because at Asim Farrakhan, I, I talked to people who were like, this book makes a lot more sense when you remember that Quoth is an unreliable narrator. Hmm. And I was like, you know what? I've thought of that, okay? Because we're getting a story from him that is directed at the chronicler, right? And he's telling the chronicler the version of this tale that he wants to live. That he wants to carry on, yeah. It could be the real, the actual truth could be totally different. We're relying on Quoth telling us the truth. Why would we do that? We've seen him be a liar. We know he can. We know he's capable. He, like, we know he's more than willing. 
why are we believing the last 200 pages we read, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to quit? Don't want to quit? Should we just quit reading it right now? It's like, oh, well. Yeah, we probably should. He's not telling us the truth at all. Let's write, find it's something a- with a reliable narrator. <laughs> Nobody has one. We are all narrating. That was part of Scarpy's our- point. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes, absolutely it was. Totally it was. We can't rely on any, any narrator, right? But just have a good time with it. Just <laughs> with the story you're getting. Just have a good time with it, I guess. Yeah, that's it. I do like watching. Uh, we're going to start to see this as these chapters go on now. A little bit of softening heart quoth. Um, mm. In the previous chapter, he had the good cry. We all need a good cry sometimes. In this one, he felt bad, at least. Right? When he burned down Pike's place, he savored the moment. Right? Um, Pike's place, like Seattle. huh? I was thinking yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, here... He feels a bit of guilt. Oh, I just screwed this guy over. I feel kind of bad for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Track that as we go through the rest of these chapters. Yeah, he's going to have. Yeah, he's going to have feelings. All right. Are we. uh, we Onward. Yeah. Okay. I just want to note, I think we said it, but it's five days to admissions. Yep, we do. Five days. Five. That's all, that's all he's got. So listen to that as we talk through the summary and the details. He buys a purse first with his newfound wealth, then a delicious breakfast of eggs, ham, bread, and milk. It made his, that made you know me hungry. I, I want that. I'll take it now, to be honest. Those are two easy first steps. All the eggs and bacon you have. (laughs) Sorry. I think you misheard me. (laughs) I told you to bring all the bacon. I think what you heard was bring me a bunch of bacon. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, these were two easy steps, getting a purse and getting a breakfast. But he realized the next were going to be complicated. He needed new clothes, but he also needed a new bath to, uh, you know, not stink. She'd buy the clothes first. You'd have to wear them stinky until he bathed. Should he bathe first? He'd have to put his old stinky clothes back on before he bought new clothes. Man, it's a uh, man. It's one of those uh, catch twenty twos. Anyway, yeah. The man at the end offered him to let him bathe for some good, honest work. And an hour later, he was in a large wooden tub, soaking in hot water with a cake of lye, a cake of lye soap. After bathing, he didn't want to put his old clothes back on, but his reflection gave Quoth an idea. In nothing but a towel, he snuck out the back, telling the without telling the innkeeper. He took on the air of a nobleman's son and stalked the streets, looking down upon everyone as they stared at him in his towel and his nakedness. He demanded that a boy tell him where he could buy some clothes. Decent clothes! Boy's father pointed. Playing the character of an insufferable nobleman's son from one of the plays of his youth, Quoth barged into Bentley's demanding, ass- into Bentley's demanding assistance with no shame whatsoever. If you don't bring me something to wear, I'll tear this place apart. Do you have an idea who I am? <laughs> well, from there, it was rather easy. 
the tailor running around, bringing him different cuts of clothing, measuring him up and tailoring a fine but plain set of clothes for Kof to wear. Kof gave the man a story about how a sex worker had stolen his clothes, offering to give him back if he gave his purse. A gentleman's dignity is not in his clothes, or if I hand over my purse simply to save myself an embarrassment, then I would be handing over my dignity. Both recited as, as if he had said these words to the imaginary woman. Bentley asked for one talent for the clothes and the effort, but Quoth demanded change back. Fully and nicely clothed, Quoth returned to the inn where he had taken a bath, where the innkeeper did not recognize him. He elected not to do the dishes he owed, and instead paid the one penny he owed for the bath. But after complimenting the innkeeper's establishment, the penny was returned. Oh, it's such nice compliments. Huh. You come back any time. That's the end of the chapter. All right, so a little bit of gratitude, heart softening watch. Uh, the compliment he gives the innkeeper, which seems pretty sincere. Uh, earns him his penny back. Yeah. So, it does. Um, yeah. And he even uh, feels a little bad for Bentley, the shopkeeper. Decides to give him a good story for his time. <laughs> I don't know if that even comes close to paying him back. Uh, but then he does proceed to take the guy to town financially. I feel like probably probably Bentley got paid well enough. You know, a little bit of trauma, but probably paid well enough. And a good story to tell afterwards. Yeah. You know, a good story, Matt, like... That's what he's saying. You don't know about Mudgate, but I'm going to tell that story forever. It's well worth whatever pain I suffered to tell Mudgate and to deny it forever as well. I was... Yep. 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 That story needs it's, to be told. I don't listen, know what it is. You have one. You have two. You. you have seven. You have 12, probably, Matt. A good story is worth its weight in gold. And so I know Quoth fucking robbed this, robbed this guy of the clothes, but this story will live on forever. Bentley has the story of the naked nobleman, noble I, kid that came into his store forever. I clothed the man that killed censored messaging because we're <laughs> spoiler free. <laughs> A king, apparently, based on the series title. Yep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, well worth it. Yep. How many stories you got? What What's your go to story, Matt? What's my go to story? The fact that I can't think of it probably means I don't have a go to story. Yeah, I'm with you. I feel bad about it. I mm. asked you and I wasn't ready myself. Right. There was the time oh, I went. No, I when got I, mine. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. You I don't know if this is my go to story. It's a bit self-deprecating, but the time I stopped Adam Foot through the airport, I told it out here on the podcast um, to finally meet him, and I did. My persistence paid off, but it took some clever stalking on my part through the Salt Lake Airport uh, to find this man. How many you know, tickets you have to buy? Uh, seven, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking liar! <laughs> no, it was no money spent. Just yeah, you definitely wouldn't have spent. <laughs> Mine is the story of the mitochondrial carpet, which I'm sure I have told on this podcast before, and so I won't do it again. 
but that's my most important embarrassing story. Okay. We got to have good self-deprecating stories. I mean, mine's terrible. I don't know well, if I know the mitochondrial story. Well, let me Carpet tell it story. for well, let me tell for patrons. I'll tell it on the on the next episode for patrons. Okay. Okay. That's when we should tell Mudgate too. Mudgate is not a thing. It doesn't I'm going to be bringing on special guests for that though. We're it gonna... doesn't exist. It's it's a, a phantasm. It doesn't it's not real. Let someone prove it. Uh, we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna. Well, no, we'll come back no. to it. Okay. I'm not. I'm moving on in the spirit of getting on with this episode, but yeah. my heart <laughs> is not moving on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's worth the hour break. How many good stories worth a lot? Still, either tip him a jot or so. That's what we just covered. But the innkeep, he chooses voluntary to say. Nah, I don't need to wash dishes. I like my new hands. Sparkling I'll, clean. I'll give you money. Yeah. For the bath. I'll pay you for the bath. And then the innkeeper gives it back to him. Yeah. Um, so he scrubbed for an hour. Yep. But it was two pennies for the bath. Right. So the scrubbing was one penny. And he just chose, nah, I don't want to wash dishes. Yep. That's your prerogative. Listen. He rose to the top real quick. Yep. Maybe just do the dishes, man. Come on. Like, don't get, let's not get ahead of yourself here. Yeah. I felt the same thing about eating that big meal. Dude, you just got two talents. Like, let's yes. put them towards okay. something good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Do we want to do this? Should we unpack this? Okay. What? I have real problems with how Kvothe handles money. Like, <laughs> big problems. Like, I understand. No, I don't understand. I, I've never listen. I'm very privileged. Very, very privileged. I've never been without money. But like, if I didn't have any, I would not be frivolous with it. Right. Having that huge meal. But, but, well, it's not a huge meal. It was. It's like a regular meal, Matt. It's like eggs. For him, it's a huge meal. Well, for him, but it's like eggs, ham, toast, milk. It's like it's a regular meal. Mm-hmm. Right? Anyway, I guess I'm just saying like just calm down, both. Like let's let's hoard the pennies a bit. Right. Yep. He but it gets worse though. Like spoilers abound, I guess, but like he's bad with money. Yeah, he's yeah. he's yeah he, he's never really had to worry about it before, yeah. yeah. Before Tarbine, um, but yeah, he talks about how he hoarded his rainy day fund in Tarbine like a dragon. You think about yeah. you know the Hobbit, um, but yet he spends it all in one fell swoop on the dreg that that he uses yes. to burn up to burn yep. Pike. Yep. Uh, it's it's maddening. Um, again. But I'll say this, don't ever estimate the, uh, underestimate the effect a full stomach has on the mind and its ability yeah. to make decisions. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we talked about that earlier, right? It's like, yep. uh, this is the other sure example the mind of is it. ready. Think of the food and then you expand. Yep. Right? Yep. 
Um, am I the only one who gets excited? Uh, but just uh, just with Quoth getting the opportunity to get clean, I don't know. My mind just immediately is like, yes, the kids finally gets to take a bath. No, dude, you're not. You're not alone. It, it's it's so much relief. I, I until you said it, I didn't really even know how much relief it was. But like, I'm this child. I. Uh, He's 12. My kid is 11. You know, like, trying to imagine, like, my kid just running around streets trying to just survive on his own instincts, like, it's really hard. And just imagining him having the solace of a bath and a meal to get like right. Man, I'd I'd give every every penny of my savings for that for sure. Yeah. You know, like I I can't I can't imagine my kid like that that would only ever happen if he ran away somehow and was not sure. under my care. But like if it happened and I found out. I would give every penny I had to make sure he had a fucking bath and a meal. Every penny. So, yeah. I'm the type yeah. of guy that gets dirty just so that I can feel the goodness of getting clean again. Like, it feels so good, bro. It feels so good to get clean. It does. Yeah, it does. Um, I'm glad he got that finally. Ugh. Yeah. Um, this was a tiny thing. I wondered if the father and son loading burlap sacks into the cart that Quoth confronts on his way to Bentley's and asks them about a place. It says there's a father and a son. The son was really tall and big. I wondered oh, if it was no, Jake and his no, dad. No, 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 no. What if it no, was, dude? No, no. How cool no. would that be if it was? You certainly would have mentioned no ones or something. No, it can't be. Please don't what do if that it was? It's, it feels like he was just feeding that to us. Don't, don't. Burlap sacks is a detail that they use. It was specifically called out as burlap sacks. The son was a big kid. Yes. They said yeah. Jake was a big kid. Yeah. Matt, what you're missing is I don't want it. I'm shoving it down your throat. I do not want that down my... Blech. I don't want it. That's uh, bad. Oh. Jake, no, they would have recognized him, right? Two years, they would have three years, three years. He was clean, right? And and kids, and, and having a kid that turns fourteen this year, I tell you what, kids grow a lot between twelve and fifteen years old. An awful lot. I cannot believe your no. kids are fifteen. Jeez, fourteen this year. December. Oh, 14. December. July. July. Yeah. Uh, Chewy's. Chewy's in December. Oh, that's uh, what it was. Sorry. Luke and Leia, July. My bad. I 14. My son wears the same size of shoes that I do. No, you you squeeze him into a half size smaller. That's your job. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> My pride. I have no pride. I have no pride. Um okay. We're doing a podcast here. No, we aren't. We're just talking. We're just friends <laughs> recording things. 
Um, chapter yes. 32. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for chapter 32 yet. Uh, I, am. I love chapter 32. It's one of my favorites. I do too. I, so I, yeah. Um, I love how quickly Quoth is instantly able to don his acting ability again. Oh yeah. He remembers the story of Dunsty. He recalls an insufferably petulant little boy with an important father. He was perfect. It was a part that Quoth would play on occasion. Yes, I can do it now. This is the truth. It's and very easy if you know what you're doing. Is that from something? Don't, don't interrupt me. It's very easy. You yeah. can pick it up in second. If you know, like, if you know the character, you can put it on in seconds. Seconds, okay. if you know it. If you okay. know it, it's, it's easy. Good for okay. him. I believe it 100%. No, I believe it too. I'm saying it's cool that he can do that. But yeah, what you're telling me is it's not that big a deal. Like, no, I, I mean, it's cool because he's, his brain has been asleep. Like he's made, he's been very emphatic about the fact that it's been asleep and he's been forgetting and everything. But like, I, I feel like this is more like riding a bicycle. You get on and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. He'd opened the floodgates in the previous chapter. Totally. And he's back at it. Stella's yeah. got his group back. Yeah. Um, Stella, who's that? <laughs> no one I would consult with. Notice Quoth says here, I've always had a fondness for taverns. Tavern is a safe place, a refuge of sorts. I felt very comfortable just then. And it occurred to me that it wouldn't be a bad life owning a place like this. Yeah. Yeah, I had that in my... Uh... In my Debbie After Dark notes, but it's not really a spoiler because it's not really a spoiler. That's what we're hearing him tell every day. Right. Yeah, All it right. feels like uh maybe maybe like this whole existence perhaps could have been saved a great deal if he had just stayed at that inn with that kind guy and been like, hey, let me uh learn about this from you. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more, sir, about what you he do. He wouldn't have killed any kings. Some king some king would still be happen. alive. Yeah. Some king would still be alive somewhere. Just saying, it feels like he could that could have been a pretty great life. Just you know, living at that yep. inn and learning. I mean, Nick Miller enjoyed it, so the bad seeds. Oh no, that's Nick Cave. My bad. Yeah. New girl. It's a bartender. I got you. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Now I'm ready. Okay. Chapter 32. Chapter 32. Here we go. Coppers, cobblers, and crowds. Stepping out into the streets of Tarbine, body clean and belly full, Kvoth couldn't help but feel a sense of actually vague unease. Uh, it took him a couple false alarms of looking around to see if he was being followed to recognize where this unease was stemming from. It stemmed from the fact that he was now part of the crowd, not just swept up in it, not running from anybody, not just moving through it. He was an active participant of a crowd getting to where they needed to be going. For Quoth, that meant hillside. Uh, arriving at high-class hillside was a different experience for the well-dressed coat, Quoth, than uh, that very first time he'd gone there. But he still started when he saw a street guard. And scared to death and almost on instinct, he ducked into the nearest store 
that he could. And it turns out the store was a shoe store. And for as, as nicely as he was dressed, the still barefoot quoth had grown so accustomed to not having shoes that it didn't even occur to him that they having some might uh, complete the ensemble as it were. The kindly cobbler sets to work measuring Quoth's dusty feet, talking about he's learned to tell a lot about a person by their feet, and Quoth's scarred and calloused feet, well, you can only get those one way. Um, He finds a pair of new shoes that are perfect, but expensive, a talent at least. However, the cobbler does have a gently used pair of the same style of shoe that had once belonged to his son. And the cost of those? Well, this cobbler doesn't sell used shoes. Wink, wink, tap on the nose. Um, he turns away and Quoth leaves two copper jots behind out of gratitude. Quoth then finds his caravan for Imre, which is where the university is. He falls in with Rowent, a scruffy, hard, black-bearded wagoneer, who ran a disciplined show with his wife, Retta. Another of the party, the kindly Derek, describes Rowent, however, as all growl and not much gruff. Also in the party is a dark-haired girl about Kvos age, Hmm. who, frankly, was beautiful. That's all we're going to say about her for now. Kvoth had uh, one more stop, though, before departing with the caravan. The children in Trapeze's basement didn't recognize Quoth, but thankfully, Trapeze himself, the closest thing Quoth had to family here in Tarbine, did recognize him. Quoth tells Trapeze about his hideaway, that they're at the convergence of the three roofs and that uh, all his collected belongings are still there. He doesn't need any of that now and suggests that the hideaway may be good for anyone else needing a dry hidden place. Um, Trappies gathers him into a clumsy hug. I'm always glad to see ones who get away. Or he says, excuse me, I'm always glad to see one of you get away. I know you'll do just fine for yourself, but you can always come back if you need to. And with that, Trappies returns to attending to his children and Kvoth takes his leave. End of the chapter. Matt, Trappis may be my favorite character in the entire series yay a worthy favorite never saw the clothes only the child inside them Mm -hmm. you can always come back if you need to this guy is Teresa right like saint of saints He's pretty great. And what's crazy is there's hints of him formerly in a past life being a Talon priest, right? Yeah. They talk about the way that his robe looks and everything. Yeah. Compare that to what we learned of Erlus in these previous chapters. Mm. And the type of person that he was. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yep. Another commentary by Rothfuss but a very impactful one that I appreciate. Yeah. Um, yeah. A worthy favorite. A worthy favorite. Just tirelessly 
taking care of the ones he can take care of. Patiently. Not even calmly pushing them too far. Just taking care of basic needs. Here's the thing, Matt. I can get taken care of the, the needy, the people that need your help. But he does it so casually. Right? Like, oh, what, what? Uh, hey, uh, well, it's all going to be fine. Oh, you go do this. Uh, it's going to be fine. You do that. It's true. It's yeah. like, oh, I got another how? baby here. I would, if I Help connected, I, I think I'd be really bad, frankly, at doing what Travis is doing. But if I did, I would connect with them and I'd be fucking terrified of fucking it up. Yep. And he's just like, oh, uh, well, we'll, we'll make it work. It's going to be fine. Uh, well, uh. Yep. Sorry, or I'd that's become my, that's apparently my trapeze voice. Your yeah. trapeze impression. Yeah. I'd become almost like paralyzed by heartbreak. I think would be the way I would put it. I oh, would man. just be so of just course. like devastated. Yeah. Seeing the yeah. condition so, these kids are in and what they've gone right. through. I'm assuming I, I could like, get over it to help, but you're right. That right. yeah, that's probably what I would be too. Yeah. To to be able to confront it every single day. Just yeah. that is your whole purpose in life. Mm. it's beyond beyond charity it's it's something completely else but so many of us look to the future like what's my next job what's my next promotion what's my next thing what where am i going like where is my trajectory trap is just like hey man we got more bread today like there's no upward movement it's just like let me take care of these kids because yep. no one will. I'm going to do it. I love him, dude. As, I, as, I love him. As many kids as can come in for as long <laughs> as you can. I love yeah. him. He's yeah. maybe, maybe my favorite character in the whole series. And again, we, we talked about and it. And yet, the... I told you, he looks like the weird guy from Princess Bride. So <laughs> still, he's my favorite character. Yeah. You're not seeing the looks. You're seeing beyond. Yeah. Um, and to that point, when we first were introduced to Trappies, we talked about on our episode about the ominous nature of his introduction, and we're almost meant to be wary of this guy. Yeah, and feels like, like what horrors are we going to see down in this, you know, in this yeah. cave of a place, and what yeah. is he doing to inflict these horrors upon these children? Yeah. My and favorite character, exactly the I opposite. still almost don't trust him. <laughs> It's like you're he's too, done so much. Too good. I'm still like, you're too oh, good. I love you. I don't trust you. You're too dang good. Yeah. Um, Trappies is one of these, but I love the little, uh, he's a little different though, because we know of him and he's been in previous chapters. But what I love about this block of chapters that we ended up getting is the little vignettes of humanity that we get with the bookkeeper, the innkeeper, maybe even Bentley and the cobbler right? Mm. Um, we're almost so conditioned to think of Tarbine as this place that just beats people down, right? Mm-hmm. You think of Pike being a product of Tarbine and everything else that's awful that goes on there. But Rothfuss gives us just enough to not let us paint Tarbine with too broad a brush, right? You get that bookkeeper who ended up 
being very helpful. The innkeeper who is just that kind dude. You get the cobbler who's like the best guy in the world besides the trappies. Um, and I love that we're introduced to that and we pay homage to the goodness that's out there. And oh, uh, I love these little vignettes. You learned so much about these characters in just the f- couple pages they were on. Um, and you learned, you love them. You leave it loving them. Brilliant writing. Brilliant writing. Living, loving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you. And people that just come in and out of the story. That will. Like, I'm trying to think of moments like when Arya is in Essos in A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm. And mm-hmm. we don't get stuff like this, I feel like. I'm trying to think of times where we do. And I don't in know that we series? do. With like, no, in A Song of Ice and Fire, where she met someone like the cobbler or the bookkeeper or oh. someone that just would come in and out of their lives and make an impact, a small mm-hmm. one, and then be gone. But you end up really loving that character for the moment that you got to know Smallwood, them. Smallwood, perhaps. Lady Smallwood. Oh yeah, she tries. She pal. gives her a dress, an acorn dress. Yeah, thing, and then she runs away, and, and then she's away. gone. So there yeah, are parts of that. Smallwood, yeah. Smallwood is a good example. The the mm. Ghost of High Heart too, to some degree. So that the people she's traveling with to get there as well. But yeah, no, you're right. It's a little different in this way. Yes, yeah. I don't mean to compare them necessarily, but why not? Um, That's what we do. I do. I did love those little vignettes. I call them. Yes. Great. The the cobbler himself. I mean, just <laughs> a damn hero, right? Like, yep. like he doesn't let any of Quoth's awkwardness or uncertainty be felt at all. Uh, treats him like a normal customer. Just treat like, anybody. Does, doesn't even let him talk, really. Like slides his socks on, puts it. Oh no, too tight, of course. Too tight. Yes, I knew that. Yes, let me. Okay, then these ones. Oh no, too felt. Of course, I knew that. Yes, let's do. Like, he doesn't even let him be awkward. He knows that Quoth would be awkward. Quoth doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He hasn't had shoes in three years. He doesn't know, right? Mm-hmm. This is this guy is a damn hero to yep. me. And I mean, there are a few in these chapters, but this we guy talk about heroes true. that come in and out of Quoth's life. At this point, yeah. following the death of his parents, and yeah, we've talked about him in previous episodes. Cobbler's right up there with him. I love this guy. Yeah, I don't sell used used shoes. shoes. Leave town, Tanker. Yeah, town. Yeah, I didn't put that in my summary, but he started humming a song called "Leave Town, Tinker." I mean, yeah. Um, and all tracking right. full softening of his heart we went all the way through to the point that boom, now it's him leaving some of his money behind to yes. pay for the shoes. Yes, and, exactly. And yeah. also his secret hiding spot. Yeah. Leaving that behind as well. Deeding it over as it were. Yeah. 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 Here. And uh, yeah, he's like, oh, well, we'll set one of the boys around. He said about the, keep that <laughs> because of the jot the jots. Um, he left a pair of copper jots on his stool before he left. 
Why? Because pride is a strange thing and because generosity deserves generosity in return, which before Quoth didn't think like that. He's like, oh, free stuff. I I need to eat. So I'm going to take this. Um, but now he feels generosity to deserves generosity in return, but mostly because it felt like the right thing to do. And that mm-hmm. is reason enough. It's a good start. Yep. Yep. Are we uh, ready to move to Debbie after dark? Mm, yes. Let's do it. Yes. Kalisar, if you don't want to be spoiled by later events in the, this as yet unfinished series, stop listening now and join us for our next episode, episode 144, title TBD. Chapters are probably written somewhere, but we'll come to you later. Yeah. And I mean, of course. But let me tell you right now, spoilers abound. The moment the little bass line finishes playing here in a second, you are entering into the land, not of the Fae, but of the spoilers. So get ready. Of the the Devi. Yep, of the Devi. Devi after dark. Here we are. Okay. Where do we go? Um, how Matt? What do do? Uh, do you have a somewhere you want to go first? No. Nope, I can don't. We, can we just dig into Lime Ray? Yeah. Why, why not start with with that? Do you have any feelings about how Lime Ray came by such power? Page one seventy eight says something along the lines of. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he came to such power. Salito's saying that. Right. Uh, deal with the devil. We end up meeting. Um, oh, gosh. I don't have his name written down, but you have it. Cathay. Cathay. Yep. Yep. Who seems to be like the all evil. Cathay. 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 Hey. You have to retrain your tongue to read and talk about this book. C T H E A H. C T H E A H. It's like, it's like friggin' Rothfuss had a box of alphabet cereal. He's like, let's name my characters, reach into the box. And he got two awesome letters and throws them on the table. And the order they fall in is the name of the character. Yeah. Oh, cafe. Yeah. Yep. Thanks a lot, it's, dude. It's like the South Park uh, manatee episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, S- South Park. Sorry, South Park does, did an episode where they presumed that the uh, plot points for uh, American Dad, maybe, were, were just brought up by manatees bringing random plot balls to the surface. <laughs> that was. It was a little bit of an attack, but it was fine. That's exactly how I feel um, about Rothfuss's naming choices. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, he had to make some sort of deal somewhere. I still wonder if maybe he like absorbed 
somehow Lyra's power or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So l- let me, let me dive in a little. Okay. Um, in the text, Lyra tries to revive Lanre three times. The first time, I should really just read it, but uh, yeah, I should just read it. Let's do that. Yeah, she speaks his name. She breathes his name. She... Oh, yeah, there we go. In the midst of silence, Lyra stood by Lyra's body and spoke his name. Her voice was a commandment. Her voice was steel and stone. Her voice told him to live again. But Lanray lay motionless and dead. If you listen to those words, it's spoke, commandment, steel and stone, told, motionless and dead. Okay? Mm-hmm. It didn't work. Okay, so Lyra went to this. In the midst of fear, instead of silence, Lyra knelt by Lanry's body and breathed instead of spoke his name. Her voice was a beckoning, not a commandment, a beckoning, like more pleading that, right? Her voice was love and longing, not steel and stone, but love and longing. I love you. Come back. I'm beckoning you. I long for you. Right? Her voice called him. Not told him, but called him to live again. But Lana lay cold and dead. Not motionless and dead, but cold and dead. Very similar, but not the same. In the midst of despair, Despair, not fear and not silence, but despair. Lara fell across Lanre's body and wept. Not spoke, not breathed, but wept his name. Her voice was a whisper, not a beckoning, nor a commandment, but a whisper. Okay. Her voice was echo and emptiness. That's interesting. Echo and emptiness. Not love and longing, not steel and stone. Echo and emptiness. Matt, is something in echoes empty or is empty? Is that valuable? Does it do anything? Mm. Her voice was echo and emptiness, not love and longing, nor steel and stone. Her voice begged him to live again begged. It was not a beckoning. It was not a commandment. She was begging. But Lanray lay breathless and cold, not cold and dead, not motionless and dead, breathless and dead. And I only say that because breath has a lot to do with Haliax. And in the future we will talk about the fact that perhaps Haliax means something in that respect 
I like that you broke it down that way and the word usage. Um, what stuck out to me in that whole situation is that it appears, as you pointed out, that Lyra encouraged, she begged, all of these different things, um, and all of that got through to Lanre, but it was him that had to make the choice to come back. He chose to come back. Yeah, Lyra's voice caught his attention, but it was his agency to actually go back to her. And it does say eventually he drew a deep and living breath, right? Yeah, here's here's it was almost like she used her power to get through to him, but then he made the choice to turn back and come back to her, which is fascinating. Yeah. Yes, it is. That is that is interesting. Um, there's something there that I want to touch on. Um, Lonre, when he came back, I think it's I lost it. Lonre, when he came back, it's interesting. He before he breathed, he spoke Ira's name. Mm-hmm. Before he breathed, he spoke her name. And we know in this series that speaking someone's name means something. It sounds like a romantic tale. Oh, I spoke your name and then I came back. But it's maybe a violent thing. It's maybe a destructive thing. He spoke her name. What does speaking one's name do? Right. Puts them under control. Puts them inner influence. Binding. Something. Yep. Binding, mm-hmm. maybe. Okay. So, I mean... We're all the way into it now, I guess. But the point is, I feel like there is a sense that when Lenray died, he was listening, he was hearing Lyra calling him back, but he didn't go back unless he got power from somewhere else. My theory, and you know, it's not perfect. But my theory is that he got the power to come back to life from Ajax. Right. One of the people that had been sealed away before in the yep. war. On the doors of stone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sealed away. But he got the power to come back through Ajax. And now he was compromised. Right, like he he gave permission to let Ajax control his transformation back to life, and Ajax actually poisoned Lyra, mm-hmm. set set her to expire, and the Lanray didn't know that, 
but that he was now alive and continuing on. And then he saw Lyra expire and he everything he could to keep her alive. And that was the pact that led him to be Haliax. Right. That when he tried to save Lyra with all, all things on the table, Haliax said, great. Yeah, I can probably save her. Give me half your being or something. And Lanray became Haliax. That's kind of my thought. What do I you like think? it. I like it. Yep. Very uh Anakin Skywalkery, right? It is, yeah. And uh, yes. I kept thinking of that through all of this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yep. Man, I just think the way she pleaded for him to come back. The last plead she has is breathless and dead. Breathless and dead. Who wants someone breathless and dead to come back? Mm Mm-hmm. Not good. Yeah. All right. What else you got? Um, uh, the line that you brought up: "Telu hates you even more than the rest of the world does," mm-hmm. which is quite a bit. Uh, there is speculation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how founded it is that Erlus, this guy here, is a member of the Chandrian. Yeah, or maybe. Haliax himself. Um, but we also know that Haliax is shrouded in shadow. Um, and Taylor would Cinder. Also hate. It could be Cinder, though. Cinder, yep. Yeah. What do you th- think there's anything to that? So we were saying before that the Chandrian don't come after Scarpy. And maybe they do. Maybe this is what was happening right here. And interesting though that Scarpy doesn't seem worried about it. Yeah, I I actually I mean now that we're into Davy after dark, like I think Scarpy might be one of the original Ammer. Sure. Um, he says he has friends in the church that can help him, mm-hmm. but. You know, the main body of the church doesn't help him, clearly, like they're hunting him or trying to catch him in a, you know, in a bad place. But feels like the Tellens, the people that believe in the Telu church, they feel like Telu is God, right? Mm-hmm. But Scarpy says that Telu is just an angel. He said that in his story, right? Correct. And so, oh man, it's a long thread. That's the heresy. To so the Telen Church, that's that's it, right? Like it's like, no, you're calling our God an angel, so you're wrong. That's bad, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
if you're calling our actual ruler and god just a mere angel, that's bad, right? So if the angels meet out justice, the angels that Scarpy holds true, they're like, ah, forget about everything else. The angels meet out justice, right? Mm -hmm. What would the Telling Church do themselves? They're used to doing that. They're used to meeting justice. They're trying to control the narrative and make people behave in the ways that they want, control everything, right? Right. So if Scarpy's tale is true, then they don't have any power, right? He's saying, no, no, there are angels up there watching everything. Don't worry about anybody else. They're going to fix it. Tell him pretty so like, nah, no, 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 we're doing that. We'll, we'll, we'll control all that right so 300 years ago so what what they say is that 300 years ago before both story is that the ammer the ammer were dusted right wiped, like wiped were, out yeah they were wiped out right or something happened to them but like why well probably because the original seven or eight or nine or whatever it is ammer disagreed with the fact that the telling church should be gathering you know tithes and taking the forefront of the whole argument right right yeah so i feel like scarpy is maybe it's it's a long shot, okay? But Matt, <laughs> I feel like Scarpy is an Amer, an original Amer, okay? And he's and he's looking for other Amer, and that maybe even Quoth is an Amer, a reincarnated Amer that yeah. doesn't know he's yeah. an Amer, right? How great would this story be if Quoth spent this whole time? looking for himself right journey of self-discovery yeah he doesn't even know he's looking for it but that's what he is he's like oh i need to find the amir well look in the mirror man like you have it right i love that idea yeah and so scarpy was scarpy coming to tarbeen just to find Quoth. We know he's looking for him later. It's bad. I I feel like I feel like Scarpy has some sort of similar power that the Chandrian have, right? That he can kind of detect when people are talking about him. Yeah. It's interesting now. I believe Scarpy disappears from the narrative, right? Yeah. It's weird because we get acknowledgement from Quoth and from uh chronicler chronicler that he exists that he's active but he's not present we don't know right yep yeah it's weird yeah yeah 
he's this character that feels like like i said in when we were in the chapter he knew quoth's name he knew his name it's ridiculous I, I i tried to look while we we're like in the middle but like it doesn't make any sense it's not there it's like he was summoned yep it's, so do do you want my you want my actual theory sure i think that he scarpy is one of the emir right yeah and that he is tasked with destroying the Chandrian, and that the general church order is, frankly, stopping them from succeeding. That they've kind of cut them off, right? Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> it's weird, but yeah, just he's trying to like make it work. He's trying to like extend. Extend the vision to whoever he can. Yeah. It's weird, right? Like, that's the truth. He could be Salitas. We don't know. He could be Salitas. And he's just trying to extend the truth to anyone who can fight the Chandrian. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, he's going to be arrested. And I'll get out of it. It's no big deal. Yeah. He's like, oh, I have friends up there. That's mm-hmm. weird too, right? That's weird too. Yeah, I'll be fine. It means it means like the holy order of the church up here is stable, but we got a bunch of bullshit going on down here, and doesn't matter. Yeah, that's weird. Fine. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. I'm excited. Wait. I'm excited for more Scarpy, which we don't get for now. We but. do not get for a while. Yeah. Yep. But he's out there. He's still kicking around. Yes. But Matt, guess what? I'm excited for the university idea. We're getting there. Because the best the best chapter in this whole series is coming. Probably two or three episodes away. All right. Where Quoth does some musical shit that is amazing. And I can't wait to hear you talk about it. My body's ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we good? Uh, I, off? Yeah, I think we're good. Yep. Yep. Okay. That concludes uh, Devi After Dark. So let's sign off, Scad. Yeah, my sign off is. Uh, for my friend Lindsay, our friend Lindsay, who sent us a message this week. And we love you and take the signs for what they are. This episode's for Brittany. Good night, everybody. Good night. Nice, Ged. Good night. Thank mm-hmm. you.